Previously on Colors. 38th and Chicago in Minneapolis. And this is where George Floyd died. We go to the place where George Floyd died and where the origin of this program was born. And while there, we speak with Pam Ortega, a young Mexican journalist. When George Floyd happened, my parents were, um, like, they told me about it first. My mom was like, did you see what happened? Like, ¿viste lo que le hicieron al pobre señor? Like, did you see what happened? Did you see what they did to him? Coming up in this episode of Colors. The second of three podcasts from Minneapolis. A seasoned TV news director takes a look back at the day George Floyd died. It, it was unbelievable. Gary Wordlaw is the news director at WNDU-TV in South Bend, Indiana. I was stunned. I couldn't, as I watched the video, I couldn't understand how anybody could keep a knee on the neck of another human being with people standing around looking and the guys obviously dying and yet someone thought that was okay. We talk about that and where the allies have gone since George Floyd's death. That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. Gary Wordlaw is a news executive that I've known for a long time. He was the vice president of programming at the Black News Channel. He was also uh, the news director here in Washington at WJLA Television. And now he's news director at WNDU in South Bend, Indiana. And he's never been short on his opinions about uh, issues. And there's no greater issue here in Minneapolis than George Floyd and what happened that day, what it means today, and what it means tomorrow. So this is our conversation with Gary Wordlaw. We're in Minneapolis. This is the place where, I guess, the modern movement, the modern movement, I say, to protest the way in which people of color are treated, to protest the way in which society views minorities and diversity was essentially birth, the modern movement. This is where George Floyd died in 2020. And I'm interested in hearing from you what your thoughts are about that moment when George Floyd died and what you noticed then. It, it was unbelievable. I mean, we, we have these terms that we use and 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 broadcast to try to describe the unbelievable, tragic, unforeseen, horrible, horrific, you name it. I was stunned. I couldn't, as I watched the video, I couldn't understand how anybody could keep a knee on the neck of another human being with people standing around looking 
and the guy's obviously dying, and yet someone thought that was okay. I'm still struggling with trying to understand that. Uh, it, it's very difficult as a person, not black, not white, not green, not blue, but just as a human to understand that failing. Mm-hmm. Have we become that now? Have we gone so far from center that we can justify that kind of brazen act of hostility against anyone? Can I hate somebody so badly that I could just literally choke them to death with my knee? I struggle with that, and I struggle with trying to help students understand that, especially those who aspire to be storytellers. How do you tell that story without becoming personally involved in that story? I'm still involved in it. I'm still struggling with trying to understand it. And yet I have to come to peace with it because my job is to help tell that story and use words that are not overly uh, sensationalized, but yet the video kind of speaks for itself. So three years and some change later, where we are now, Minneapolis, a lot of people who are out there right there on the front lines of this movement, supporting and chanting and marching and walking and talking, are gone. And I'm wondering what you make of that. We, as a people, today, seem to go from one crisis to another. Whatever the latest thing is, that's what we kind of rally around. And it no longer is the exception when we see these kinds of incidences unfold. So you have Minneapolis, you had Baton Rouge, Louisiana, you have uh, Memphis, Tennessee, Uh, you have Chicago. I mean, it doesn't seem to stop. And so what we do, we sort of become desensitized. After it leaves the lead story, After NPR quits writing about it, we stop making podcasts about these things. The newspapers no longer cover that one. We've moved on to the next one. The burn is still there. The people who are most affected are still there, but we don't react the same way. I think we kind of get numb and we wait for the next one to happen because we expect that there will be another. Is it realistic to expect that there might be a way to reverse that or to fix that or to address that or we just too far beyond that it has to begin with each individual person you know let's talk about policing for a second they get criticized and in some cases rightfully so but who do you know wants to be a police officer who do you know want to go in that community very a lot fewer people than i used to know right i mean it's a tough job i don't know how i would react in that position I pray to my God that I wouldn't want to put my knee on somebody's neck. I hope I wouldn't get that frustrated with it. But I think we have to go back to the to the basics, you know. Have we gotten so deep into the pit that we're like that black hole in space being sucked ever deeper into it? Or do we stand up and say, okay, stop. Can we just talk? Can we just communicate with one another? Can we talk through some of these things? And I think communication is going to have to be key. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to come at the discussion 
without our biases. We have to sort of leave those things on the table. I don't believe that every human being is racist, but I think we all have our biases. And I think if we're going to make some change, we have to sort of address the biases before we can get to talking about how to fix something. You was a black man who grew up in, I think you said, North Pittsburgh. No, that's Tennessee. Well, Chattanooga, Tennessee is where I grew up. Okay. I thought you said something about Pittsburgh. I was born in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee. South Pittsburgh, Tennessee. Right. So as a black man from South Pittsburgh, Tennessee, was there ever a moment when something happened to you there that just enraged you and made you aware of the racial problem that this nation had? I grew up at a time when I had to catch two city buses to get to the high school that I chose to go to. My parents moved to a neighborhood that was very integrated, but my traditional high school was a black school. Howard High School, the Hustlin' Tigers. And I wanted to graduate there. My sister and brother had both graduated from this school. So in order to get there, I had to ride two city buses because there was no transportation other than that. On the back of those buses, this is in 1960, late 60s, on the back of the buses I rode, they had painted over it, but was still there. This part of the bus is reserved for the colored race. Hmm. What? This is in the late 60s. But I had to ride a bus and be reminded that I had to sit in the back, or that's where once I had to sit. In the, I wouldn't do it. I sat in the front all the time, but I wasn't going to sit back there. Uh-huh. I wasn't not going to do it. Was I reminded of that? Yeah. I mean, you can't grow up in a segregated society without knowing... What, where you stand. I mean, I was one of the first, if not the first, black person to work in television in my hometown that wasn't a, a janitor. Oh, yeah, I can remember the police saying a few things about me on the police radios for the world to hear. Mm. Oh, yeah. But I, I chose to look at life like this. Your weakness has got to be my strength. Too many good men and women who went before me in this business for me to have the right to do what I do, who am I to let somebody else's racist attitude stop me from being successful? Then I would be denying the heritage. Mm -hmm. So I had to fight through that and and put it behind me and say, that's your problem. Mm -hmm. I I have to succeed. I cannot fail. I know you from years ago from the Washington, D.C. area when you were, I think, news director at uh, WJLA Television. I think that was our first uh, encounter. And I can recall sitting in your office at one point doing an interview with you for a job, which I didn't get. And to your credit, um, it probably was a good decision because I probably wasn't ready for that at the time. And who knows? But the point that I want to make here is that I recall the same type of approach to the pragmatism about life and about business and about everything that you just laid out. You just have to be able to seize upon the person's whatever they're made of. Use it to your advantage uh, every day and every every moment. I'm saying each person has to do that. But you, you, you have to engage people that way. You have to make decisions about people and situations. And you're talking about you know, making sure that that person's weakness that hates you is your strength. How do you teach that? Number one, I think you have to be the kind of person who internalizes 
what it is you feel. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about something? How deeply do you believe in it? I think then you try to teach your belief systems to somebody who comes from a, a particular bent. Uh, I'm, I'm not a fool. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody can't be reached. Yeah. I think for those people who want to be reached, who really want to learn from those who've gone before them, as I did, I think you have to listen. You see, there's one thing to hear. There's something else to listen. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of noise. But when you listen, you take something deep inside. Mm-hmm. When you hear it, it can be a pass-through. But when you listen to something, then you can put something back into action. And so I try to teach the kids to listen. It's not going to be perfect. There is no perfect answer to any question. But there can be solutions if you can make yourself inside be content with where you're going. And so I've always tried to be a a happy person inside. I've always tried to uh, find something inside of me to center me, to help others. To that point, I heard you say earlier today that you don't get stressed. And, uh, you know, I thought that was an incredible statement to make. But I think you've got a good explanation for it. It doesn't mean that you're not susceptible to stressful moments, but you don't let the stress manifest. Explain that. What good would it do for me to get stressed out over something? This is how, This is for me. I can't talk to somebody else, but for me. What good does it do for me to get stressed out over it? Is it going to change one iota of what needs to happen for me? Well, I came to the realization a long time ago, oh, no, it's not. So I go to sleep. If I, if, I, if I stay up all night worrying about something, then I'm tired. I still have to function. I'd rather get a good night's sleep and face a new day. And so I like to tell my staff, I don't have stress. I create stress. Uh, so that's the key. But the reality is... I'm determined that in order for me to function, I have to function at the highest level possible for me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that I hit all my marks every day. But when I go home and I sit in my big chair and I think about my day, I start making a mental checklist of the things I wanted to get done. If I have more check marks by the things I wanted to do than I have excess what I didn't do, I had a great day. But the wonderful thing about life is we get to start all over the next day. Can't change today. But I can sure affect tomorrow by what happened today. And so what I choose to do is I'd rather say that sometimes I get anxious. I have some anxieties. But then I go back to center myself on what's really important to me. And I try to put those anxieties in their place and then function again at a high level. So to what it is that we do on this podcast, and that is talk about race in America. How do you, well, what do you recommend for listeners and for anybody that wants to figure out where to go next, how to move forward in this racial paradox that we seem to have in this country? And we seem to have had it for many decades. It doesn't seem to change. It seems to shift, but it doesn't seem to change. I don't think that we will ever be totally color neutral. But if you put all of us in a room and turn the lights off, Mm. what color are we? Mm. 
would we not all be stumbling around trying to find our way? Well, in many respects, the world is in darkness. It's stumbling around trying to find its way. But I, I know who I am. Mm-hmm. I'm Gary Wardlaw, and I like me. So if you don't like me, that ain't my problem. What other people say about me, well, that's none of my business. What they say to me, that's my business. So if you're talking about me behind my back, what do I care for? Can't worry about that. And so what I chose to do is to meet a person and I try to sum them up by the conversations that we have. And judge, as King once said, by the content of a man's character. Whether your face is like my face or like somebody else's face, I can't see my face through my own eyes. But I can see yours. And I look at you in your eye and shake your hand as a person. That's all I care about. So I don't care if you're black, white, green, purple. What do I care for? I'm color neutral when it comes to trying to determine that. And I've come to that realization through trial and error. And if a person meets me and they look at this melodin and they go, well, I can't be with that person. Well, you've done us both a favor because <laughs> I don't want to be with you anyway. <laughs> and so I don't really worry about it. Okay. Last thing. Um, any thoughts you'd like to share I have about anything that I haven't asked you about as it relates to this, this topic? Don't let some other person determine whether you can or cannot be happy. Don't let some other person try to determine whether you can or cannot be successful because you don't look like them or you don't sound like them. You don't dress like them. You don't live where they live. You don't know me. I've earned my way. I would suggest to everyone with an earshot, work hard, be diligent, be honest, be prayerful, be considerate, be humble, be wise, and be successful. Gary Wordlaw, ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Thank you. Stay tuned for some thoughts about race in America and details about our next guest. You're listening to Colors. My name is Dimitra Ganyas, and I live in Connecticut. I am a first-generation American Greek. I hope to teach my three children not to be colorblind, but to see color and to appreciate our differences. I love America, and I am not ready, even amongst the anger and divide, to give up on the idea that each person can live out his or her dream here. Aristotle said, excellence comes from what we do repeatedly, that it grows from a habit, So let's continue the momentum. Let's make a habit of these uncomfortable conversations because that's where understanding and healing begin. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. If you have any questions or comments about Colors, send us an email. You can reach us at colors at thecolorspodcast.com. That's colors at thecolorspodcast.com. Coming up in our next episode of Colors. I'm Brianna Rice. I am black and I am from Cincinnati, Ohio, but I'm currently in Detroit, Michigan. My name is Jenny Gable. Um, I'm Cuban-American, but I'm from Southern Maryland um, near D.C. My name is Alexandra Coneyards. 
Uh, I'm originally from a small town in Belgium, but I've been living in the U.S. since I was 12. I am half Ethiopian and half Belgian. My name is Dominique Glavinier. Um, I am black and Puerto Rican. I'm originally from the Chicago area, and now I'm currently living in Bakersfield, California. Four intelligent, diverse, and outspoken young women who are journalists talk about race in America. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. That's it for this episode of Colors. Thank you to everyone that's helped to put this together. And I want to say quickly, once again, we have another tragedy unfolding in the world. What took place in Israel on Saturday of last week and what's happening in Gaza now and what may happen in the future. I just want to urge everyone listening to take a moment, take a deep breath, think before you act, and realize that everything that you see on social media does not mean you need to act on it. Thanks to Jesse Gallagher, Cosmic, and Offshane for the music, and thank you to you for listening. And just remember, keep talking to each other. And just as important, keep listening to each other. You can subscribe to Colors wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.